Welcome back to the Tennis Addict Podcast, uh, the tennis podcast made for tennis fans by tennis fans. I'm Eric, and with me today is my co-host, Mike. Hey, everybody. And my other co-host, uh, Michael, is actually sick, so he will be uh, not with us today. However, we will be reading his comments. Uh, he was nice enough to jot some stuff down, his thoughts on the news and announcements of the day. Uh, so we will read those along with uh, what we got. So we're going to start with the announcements. Uh, first thing is with the season coming to a close, uh, again, we're going to be taking a hiatus from the podcast during December for the holiday season. It's going to give us a chance to spend some time with friends, some family, recharge our batteries a bit. Uh, you know, Mikey has uh, a newborn baby. My son's getting big, but <laughs> terrible twos are here. So getting a little bit of rest and relaxation is going to help. Uh, and we will be back better than ever the first week of January to start the new season. Uh, starting next year, the Tennis Addict, post, uh, Tennis Addict Podcast will be moving to Patreon. Uh, don't worry, this uh, still means you will get your episodes on iTunes, but episodes like the upcoming ATP Player Profile and Deep Dive episodes will be Patreon exclusive for a while uh, before they will appear on iTunes. Uh, so consider subscribing to Freaking Geeks Media by going to www.patreon.com backslash Freaking Geeks, all one word, where you will not only get great tennis content, but have access to other podcasts as well as being in the running for monthly Loot Crate giveaways. So, Mike, you know a little bit more about that than I do. So Freaking Geeks Media, what is that? Is that just our link? Uh, Freak Geeks Media is basically the umbrella under which all of my podcasts operate. So, oh, okay. Yeah. That's so, for news. instance, like uh, we have uh, – if you're a Friday Night Lights fan, the TV show, we have Friday Night Mics. Uh, if you're uh, someone who loves movies uh, and you like to hear reviews on movies, so the Freaking Geeks podcast, which is like the flagship podcast for it, uh, we do a lot of uh, – Movie reviews, older movies, of course, but then anything new that comes out in theaters that uh, we're really excited about, we do reviews for that. And those uh, full uh, spoiler-filled reviews are, are uh, actually patron-exclusive content. And you know we have other podcasts there as well. So you know if you go there and you subscribe and you're interested in tennis, you also have the ability to check out other podcasts as well. All right, cool. I was not aware of that. I should have probably asked that beforehand, but I'm like, you know what? I'm sure the listeners might like to know where that came from as well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're going to get into the news. Um, now, after uh, each thing I break up on the news, I'm going to read um, Mikey's thoughts first. Uh, that way we'll get that out there and then we can you know, build off of what he says. Uh, some of his things aren't really long. So the first thing is, is uh, Alexand- Alexander Zverev admitted to choking in the World Tour Finals. Uh, Mikey's thoughts where it shows that maybe he isn't the next guy. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think it, it feeling the same or do you have different thoughts? I, I have different thoughts. Um, I mean, get to remember something. <clears throat> this isn't the age uh, of years past where uh, we would have a lot of uh, teenage Grand Slam champions. Uh, those days are, for the most part, pretty much long gone. Uh, these days, I feel like the game it requires so much more physical strength and endurance, which is a lot more difficult to build when you're that young. And I think with Zverev, we have to remember this was his most successful season without a doubt at this point, right? I mean, he's won Master Series titles this year. He really made a, a pretty massive jump in the rankings. 
And, uh, you know, everybody hits their wall at some point. Um, and I think he's still learning. He's still learning the mental side uh, of the game and what it takes to do it week in and week out and play at a high level. I think he has to build on his, his conditioning and endurance uh, by, I want to say, a significant margin, but he definitely needs to build on it. He's, he's not there yet. And I think just playing, uh, you know, high quality matches and getting big wins and kind of building that, that confidence that can really age you long term, especially if you're an all time great and you have all the tools. What you really need is to be in the situations and get through tough situations. And as you do that throughout your early stages of, the, of your career, you tend to start to build this almost like this reservoir of not just knowledge of like being in really hard spots in a match and finding a way to kind of claw your way through, which is very important. But I think it's also just build your, your overall resolve as a tennis player. You know, when you go into a match, uh, you know, if you look at Federer when he was young, I mean, he was uh, fiery. He lost his temper often. He broke tennis rackets. And if you're out there and you're thinking, that's not Roger, that was Roger. One time, it was. That was a, a guy who was frustrated because he couldn't do what he knew he could deep down he could do which was play at you know the kind of level that we've seen for now so many years um it just took a while for him to put it all together and you know he wasn't what 23 i think when he finally won his first Wimbledon title and that was at the time that was like a late bloomer to be 23 that's what they called him. He was like a late bloomer. And then, of course, he went on a tear and, you know, he is who he is now. So with Severov, I just think, you know, he just – he's just young. He's still learning. He's building, you know, and it's just going to take a little while uh, to kind of get there. And, and this is his first World Tour Finals and he's exhausted and he just – honestly, he just didn't have it mentally, physically, whatever combined, you know, uh, he just didn't have it in this uh, tournament. What do you think, Eric? I think a lot of the same. I mean, it's different if there's people you can build off of. Uh, I'm talking about uh, like prototypical map. You see what someone else did before you. But I mean, you're, you're talking to the last person to be in their 20s or teens to get to Grand Slam finals and to win is Nadal. And before them, you've got, you have people's like, you know, in the, in the nineties and eighties, you've got Becker, you know, being 17, winning Wimbledon, like that type of thing doesn't happen anymore. And especially since Roger was the late bloomer and then, you know, Nadal had a couple of French opens in that under his belt before he turned 21. Um, more or less, that's all he won. There, there's been nobody else to follow. Like, okay, what did you do? You know, how did you get, a, a, you know, around it? I mean, it's just, it's a different game to where it's more the middle age to late bloomers dominating and you don't have the, the younger guys like you did back in the day where, you know, when you turn 28, 29, you're getting blown off the court by some 18 year olds, maybe 19 year olds up and comers, but that's not the way. So he doesn't really have a roadmap to follow. I think he's figuring out, trying to figure it out by himself. Yeah, you've got other people who are kind of young, but there's a big difference between being 26 and 20. You know, Dimitrov, you know, Goffin's a little younger. I think Goffin's, what, 25? Yeah, 25. Yeah, so Goffin's a little bit younger, but even then, you know, Goffin's been on the tour. I think Zverev's 20, right? Or did he just turn 21? He's one or the other. Uh, so either way, you're looking at min even a minimum four-year difference. And Goffin now is just now at the same spot where Zverev already is. Zverev's already gotten more uh, ATP War Tour 
master series titles than Gofan has. I don't think Gofan has any. You know, and and Zverev's won two, I think, or at least one, but at two, two I, think. I think. Yeah, because he, he won the clay court, he won in Rome, and then he won the other one. So, I mean, it's it's a, it's a struggle because you're kind of out there in the abyss. You can't follow what other people did. You know, you got to figure it out on his own. Now, I'd say good to his dad, uh, helping him and his brother Misha, you know, through. I don't think he'd be where he's at without him because you saw even with Misha, Misha's been playing longer than anybody, you know, than his brother. And all of a sudden this dad steps in and Misha's having a banner year himself. So I think it's going to build off of it. I think he doesn't have the endurance there yet. You know, I think it's something that he's going to struggle with um, for a little bit. That's something he's going to have to really work hard in the off season to go to back to back, you know, Master Series or going to Master Series, have a week off, go to Grand Slam. You just got to figure out, you know, it, it's tough when you're 20. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I remember, Mike, when we were 2021, 20, I wanted to go out and party. I wanted to go hang out and do movies. You know, there's a lot more stuff to do in this day and age that makes it like when people have, in my opinion, a devotion to the game, like what Roger does and Nadal does, you know, Murray too, Djokovic especially. You know, there's so many other things you can do in life. You know, 50 years ago, there wasn't a lot to do. Okay. Have kids. That was about it. That's why there were so many kids back in the day. Nowadays, so many distractions. I think it's difficult for someone who's young now to focus as much as they need to focus because they've never done it before. You know, Nadal, when Nadal was 14 or 15, he had some distractions, but not like today. He was able to build a focus, you know, with family and with Roger wanting to be the greatest. They all had avenues that led them to being able to be focused, not be distracted from what they want to do. But the kids today, the younger guys today, there's just so much distraction that he needs to put in the time and the effort, you know, to get the endurance up, to get the mental strength up. You know, he's already seen him break through, but then immediately after he wins, he cracks, he breaks. So I think there's high hopes for him. I think if he keeps on this path and is devoted to, you know, I want to become number one, I need to win Grand Slams, and he's going to need to put the time in to do it. And, you know, maybe he can get lucky and, like, the World Tour Finals happens where only Federer is left. He's only going to fight one of the big all-time Grand Slammers type of deal. Um, and he can get lucky. Maybe he got a Grand Slam. But you're talking a couple of years before that's going to happen on the norm. You, you can't wait for that. He needs to, to do it now before somebody else steps up top the mountain. And then, you know, he's going to fight them too. So that's my opinion. I think that we're going to see better things from him. I just hope that he can find the time to put in that he needs to and doesn't get distracted by life and everything that comes with being 21 years old and, and having money. Two grand slam, I mean, not two grand slam, two master series titles. I mean, you're talking, you know, the one was close to a million. I think the other one was about two. So he's got money now. Just this year, he's made a lot of money and you can have a lot of fun. I just hope he doesn't get distracted. I agree. Um, so for the second thing, uh, news-wise, uh, most people know this, but Nadal pulled out of the War Tour Finals. Um, should he have played in the first place? Mikey said no. What do you think? Because I'm a little conflicted. Um, no, and, and I know we have number three we have coming up here. It kind of ties right into this, so I'm just going to pull that out 
uh, yeah. this this here because it ties right into it. So um, I was thinking about this, and I really don't believe he should have played. And I know that his team didn't want him to play. They were against him going out there. Um, so I think, however, that the reason why Nadal played, the singular reason is that this was Uncle Tony's last tournament. You know, and it's such a big one. It's the World Tour Finals, right? It, it's their second only to the Slams in terms of prestige and, of course, ranking points and all of that. It's a big deal to win the World Tour Finals at the end of the year. And given that this is the last hurrah for Nadal and Uncle Tony, the last chance for them to, to you know, for him to be his coach and go out there and do this thing together, I think that is the only reason Nadal went out there. If it wasn't for this reason, I believe... I believe Nadal would have pulled out um, of the World Tour Finals. He may have even pulled out of the Paris Masters even. Who knows? Um, without even playing that, just because of the reports that, you know, uh, we've read and, and heard of, heard things about him not really being able to move very much out in the practice court. So if you can't move in the practice court very well, and that doesn't generally indicate that you're healthy so yeah. i think this is all about going out there doing his best for uncle tony the last time he did he tried hard he pushed gofan uh who by the way you know just played in the final he pushed gofan to three you know hard fought sets and uh that's pretty pretty good when you're talking about somebody who um, obviously, he was in much better shape than Nadal was in terms of no injuries, as far as we know. And uh, Nadal, however, just he did his best, and you know he he does not apologize for that. But he did it for Uncle Tony, and for that, I, you know, it is what it is, right? I applaud him for it. I applaud him for going out there and doing the one last tournament together. Um, results be damned, more or less, I guess. Well, I I can see that. I understand where you're coming from there. My thought process was a little bit different. Um, my thought process was along the lines of Nadal is a guy who doesn't like to withdraw. I don't think Nadal wanted a DNP and did not play on there. He just became number one. I think he's, you know, him and Roger more than anybody else are the two guys that when they're number one in the world – act like a number one in the world should act. I think he didn't want to pull out being newly crowned number one. It would have looked maybe like a cop out. Now everybody knew he was injured, you know, had some knee issues, had to pull out of Paris. But I think, A, he wanted to show that uh, he could try. He wanted to not have a do not play, give it a go. Maybe things would go better than he thought. You know, the, the, the MRI did show there wasn't any more damage than what happened last time. So, you know, if he played and there really was little to no pain, he might have played longer. I do think with the, the, the Tony thing uh, was probably a little bit true there too, but less, I think less about the Tony thing. If he knew he was probably going to withdraw. Why have him come the whole way to London? Not the whole way to London because it's not that far, but have him come to London to play one match and pull out type of deal. So I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if, if that was much of to do with it, but I, I think there's a, there's a, a multiple things. I don't think it was, um, you know, 
like like let's say should he undergo the same criticism Andy Murray was hit with when he withdrew right after the draw came off the US Open? I think not. I think he wanted to give it a go, and this is a different this is different than a, a draw for a Grand Slam because the seeds change. You had an alternate, and an alternate just came in, but it didn't effectively move anybody or change anything like what happens in a grand slam after the draw is already out. Um, and I, I, th- I think uh, it wasn't his intention to play one and done. I think he wanted to try. And if it went better than expected, I think if he'd have won and he'd have won comfortably, he'd have probably tried to go another match until the pain was bad enough to where he was afraid to damage something. He probably would have played, but I think also losing and then probably feeling something there, it was probably, it was the best thing to do. And, uh, I would have, like I said, I'd have rather him pulled out from the beginning, but I can understand why he didn't. Um, Mikey said maybe he knew he wasn't healthy and really had nothing to play for other than the title. That's also partially true too, in a way, you know, that he has never won the world tour finals and he's got two master series titles he hasn't won yet. So there's not a lot of hardware that this guy doesn't have in a shelf. So. I think there's that also, I just can't say no. I got to give it a shot. Even if it's a shot in the dark, I think that's also what Nadal was doing. Just, hey, if I try and I don't win and my knees, I just pull out. You know, if I win and it doesn't hurt, keep going. I agree. Oh, I agree. I understand. It, I think it's a, it was a complex decision. Yeah. I think there were a variety of factors and he ultimately said, I'm going to try and we'll see what happens. Exactly. Uh, so the next part of news, we're going to move on from that, is uh, Andy Murray and uh, Yvonne Lendl split for the second time. That was a mutual split. Uh, and then does the split possibly indicate that the hip is a continuing issue? I don't think that the hip is a continuing issue. I think um, he's feeling better. But I will say, like I said last podcast, he was spotted still limping a little bit. I don't think that's the issue – for the split. I think Murray's probably having a little bit of the same issues that Djokovic is having and he needs motivation. And sometimes you need a new person. You've seen Roger multiple times change coaches, you know, and Lendl's a great guy, but there might be a, a part in his life. You know, Murray's got a second kid or second kid on the way now too. I can't remember what shit that it is. I think it just, he just had the second kid, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, one or the other. So we're talking he's in the same boat of Djokovic, multiple kids like Federer who's got multiple sets of twins. Um, so it changes your perspective on things. And then when you get a little bit older, having an issue, I think motivation is a factor in Murray. And I think that's what he's, I think that's why this is a mutual split. I think he's learned what he's needed from Lendl and he'll probably continue to use what he's learned. I just think he needs to find a new coach, someone who can motivate him in different ways, maybe, and uh, get him back there on the court with a lot of motivation. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is uh, an issue that always seems to happen with Lendl and Murray. Um, but I'd, the one thing that kind of worries me is the last time this happened was when Andy was suffering through that hip issue a few years back. Remember, so he had that surgery uh, and then he and Lendl eventually split. And... The one reason that I'm kind of worried about this is that it feels like maybe this could be an indication that the hip isn't – not only is it – it's not fully healed. You know, He had that hit around with Roger um, and you could tell in the court he, he didn't move poorly, 
but you could tell it's not fully healed. You know, he was still kind of limping a little bit around the court. You could, you could see the way he was walking. He was favoring one leg for sure. Um, now, that does that mean that he's not going to be ready for the season? No. I mean, look, it's a couple months away. He could be completely healthy come the Australian Open. But it worries me a little bit because I wonder if Lendl leaving, whether it was Murray saying, hey, look, I think we should split, or whether it was Lendl or whether they both just came to an agreement, I don't know. But it worries me because I wonder if that might mean that the hip is – still going to be an ongoing issue heading into the season and that maybe the split has something to do with that. Again, all speculation there. I have not one iota. It's just it's sheer speculation, but I do worry about that. What are your thoughts? Um, Not as much. I just think because he's been on tour long enough and kind of knows at this point, should know what he needs to do, what he doesn't need to do. Um, I, I hope that that's not the, the case. So I just think I, I'm I'm staying true to what I think on on that issue is that you know the hip is still is still an issue. I just don't think it has to do with Lendl leaving. In my opinion, it'd be, it'd be nice to know because um, there could be reasons why it would cause a split. I just don't think so. It could be Lendl trying to push him back too early and that Murray not liking it, or Lendl not being supportive. I mean, who really knows? Um, because they're not going to say more than likely it's just going to be that it's mutual and we decided to part our own ways and you're really never going to know um, what would happen but I, I just think that uh, I think Murray needs to find somehow the motivation to come back and play with having kids two kids now I think it's going to be tough you know like I said before Federer is unique in that Mirko played tennis was a tennis player until she got injured she was a tennis player so she understands more than Djokovic's wife who was a model I think both I think Djokovic's wife and I know Murray's wife Kim Sears was a model so I mean there's nothing wrong with that but they don't understand tennis as like someone who played tennis so I think Roger benefited from his wife on being able to do she understood what he needed to do to be at the top of the game was allowed to do that I think it's a little different I think it's one of the reasons that Dahl's not married yet. And I think it's one of the reasons it's going to affect Djokovic and Murray in that not, not saying kids are distractions, not in a bad way, but it's things pulling your attention away that you have to pull away unless you want to consider yourself a terrible father and not play with your kids and, and raise your kids or anything like that. Um, I think Roger benefited from having kids and having a wife who understood the tour and what needed to be done and allowed him to do that. And I think that's going to be the hard part this year while Djokovic is going to be, Djokovic is going to be motivated. I think he's going to come up hard early in the year and play. But I think what you're going to see happens at certain points of the year, you're going to see a really big dip because I think they're going to crash. And what, and that's my opinion. I think they're going to crash because it's going to catch up to them. Life is going to catch up to them. And like I said, Roger's unique. You can't can't use him as as a model because that's not that's rare for someone to have two sets of twins, still be playing at thirty five years old, and still winning. And you know what it takes to win. You know the, the time you get to put on court and everything. That's not that's not normal. So we'll see how Andy Andy turns around. 
I don't think he'll be ready, and, and I don't think he's going to make it past the fourth round, third round, fourth round of Australian Open, but we'll see. Um, but I'm going to move on to the next issue just because I don't want to keep this going too crazy long. Um, got more news to go through and then got the World Tour Finals to get through. So Nadal was awarded monetary damages against the ex-French Prime Minister over his remarks about Nadal using PEDS. I think this is something that needed to win. Uh, even if I wasn't a Nadal fan, I don't like how easy it is to make disparaging remarks against somebody with no actual proof and the damage you can do to someone's reputation. It's so much harder to bring your reputation back than it is to do anything else. I mean, to not have to prove it. You know, you can, let's say something, you can accuse somebody of theft. Um, I'm not going to go into sexual harassment or anything like that because that's all in the news right now, but let's say theft. You know, you can accuse somebody of being a thief. Okay. And the problem is, is, is that while it's the right thing to do per se, but that person get arrested and you put in jail and have to be released on bail until you've got evidence to show the country it, it could do more harm. People can lose their jobs. People have lost their job. Being falsely accused of something can ruin someone's life. Now, this is just tennis, but I don't like it in the same way it can hurt somebody and it can affect a doll with, um, you know, money, especially big money, you know, advertisers, you know, you, we've seen YouTube advertiser gate. We've seen anytime an athlete does something wrong in a football field or basketball, you know, advertisers yank. And then we're talking in, in instances, millions of dollars. So I think that, you know, when someone makes a claim, they really immediately need to have evidence proving what they're saying. Otherwise, I think they really need to be held like what kind of what happened need to be held to a higher standard and you get to pay for what your actions are because they can cause a lot more damage than I think people realize. Uh, yeah, I agree. Look, it's, um, it's, you're right. It's an issue and you do need to have proof because if you come out and you start throwing this dirt around and it, it, it muddies the waters, right? Because there will invariably be people out there that will want to believe the stories for whatever reason. Maybe they don't like the person or the player for any number of reasons, you know, and maybe they don't like their style of play. Maybe they don't like their personality. Maybe they don't like them because they beat their favorite player all the time. And that alone is bad enough. But there are a lot of other people out there, like you said, sponsors and people who support a player or a person, regardless of whether we're talking about sports or just life or entertainment industry, you know, there's so many things you have to, you have to provide some kind of proof just because you're right. If you, if you don't have proof, if you can't show that it ha that something like this happened, especially in this specific case, right. And again, I'm not going to get into the, the sexual harassment stuff because that's a whole other thing and it's not something we want to dive into. But I think in this instance in particular, you better have some proof and say, okay, I can tell you for a fact that Rafael Nadal failed a drug test. Okay. And here is the proof. Here I have the, the papers. I have the blood, the blood report. I have some real hard evidence, irrefutable evidence that showcases that, you know, that statement that I'm making. And if you don't have it, then you're just out there smearing someone's good name. And you're right that yep. all of a sudden sponsors are like, hey, look, we don't want to be associated with some person who's, you know, not being accused of using performance enhancing drugs. 
we don't want that. So all of a sudden you have four or five sponsors that cut ties and you might say, okay, well, look, you know, Rafael Nadal, right? I mean, he's made bajillions of dollars, right? He doesn't need any of this money. It doesn't matter. First of all, that's not necessarily true. And B, it's not the point. You know, he, that's his, that's his money. That's his cash flow. That's, those are things that he has earned along the way from being such a great player. You know, he, he talked to these companies. He, he uh, does commercials or uh, print ads, whatever. And yeah, they pay him for it. That's what happens all over the world, you know, all the time. So if you smear someone's name, they lose that money. That isn't right. So either provide proof or keep your mouth shut. End of story. Exactly. Um, so moving on to the next one, we're going to get a little bit of uh, a good news actually about tennis going on. Is the United States wins the Fed Cup over uh, Belarus. I think it's Belarus, Belarus. It's one of those. Belarus. Um, Belarus. Uh, so Kuka Vandaway, she went 3-0 and in her matches. Uh, we won via the fifth rubber doubles match. Uh, we came from down 5-2 in the second set uh, to, to win uh, the fifth match rubber. So it was really tough, difficult. I mean, it's a good win for the United States. Uh, Coco proving that she's a legitimate contender. I think she just needs to be more consistent through the season. She's had some good, good, uh, she had a good grand slam or two this year. And I hope she, uh, you know, builds off of this. You know, gives her a high and goes in Australian Open. Um, uh, going to Australian Open as a contender. Uh, Mikey's thoughts on this was that Coco proved that she's ready to put it all together and continue to be a factor at the Slams. And I feel a lot of the same way. You know, this is a good thing at the end of the year. She didn't do crazy well at the at the World Tour final, at the World Tour finals, but the the women's finals, the women's uh, WTA finals. I don't think. Um, she didn't make it to the semis. I'm pretty no, she, she didn't. Yeah, she didn't play. Too yeah. Well. So you know, with that withstanding, this is something she can take, um, take good off of what she did right, what she did wrong, and hopefully she builds for uh, Australian Open. Yeah, I mean, look, I feel like Coco has really just been knocking on the door for the what about eighteen months or so. Mm. Um, I know she's had a couple of runs here. In particular, which has been great, obviously Australian Open, U.S. Open, uh, has been a pretty big uh, moment for her. But the problem is she's she's like this close, you know. She's in the semis. She's had these chances to win, you know. Australia or Venus beat her. I don't remember the score, but I I, I think she beat her pretty easily. But. The U.S. Open, I think, was the one where I felt like she really seemed to be ready to take on that mantle, and it it just didn't happen. I mean, she really went out against Madison Keys and just wasn't there. Like she did not, like she was still in the locker room. She didn't even come out in court. Basically, is what it seemed like. Um, so I'm hoping that that like other past champions on the men and women's side in Davis Cup similar events at the end of the year. Um, this is a springboard for her. You know, we've seen Nadal use that as a springboard into the next season. We know Djokovic did that uh, when they won Davis Cup uh, back before the 2011 season. He used that as like his springboard into the season. And then, of course, we know what happened in 2011. He was, he was tearing everybody apart. Um, Murray has done that, obviously. 
And so let's just hope that Coco can take this and, and use this. Like you go into the offseason, you're pumped, you're excited, you've done something great. All right, now really attack your training, you know, and get ready for the season because she's in her mid twenties now. She now she needs to take advantage of the experience that she has, the confidence, the coaching, and now put that all together and let's see what you can do with it because she's got incredible weapons. You know, her serve, her her ground strokes, uh, her timing, it's it's fantastic. And if she can put it together and, and really just get a little stronger mentally, I feel like the end result could be a Grand Slam champion. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. And, in you know, Serena coming back, uh, I don't think it's going to be the same exact Serena. She's trying to make it back for Australia. I think Coco can easily become the number two because as long as Serena's playing, she's going to be the number one favorite for America, for Americans and, and rightly so. But I think Coco, you know, between Coco and I, I got to say it, uh, Serena's sister Venus, you know, they've shown, you know, with Venus making it the whole way to the finals, they've shown that other American women besides Serena can win at events. Um, now this isn't the same, but I think they can use that. I mean, Venus, uh, you know, unfortunately didn't win a grand slam, but made a few finals this year. Um, and, and it came up just short. I think next year, you know, could be, I'm not, I'm not passing the torch or anything because Venus is older than Serena, but maybe somebody other than Serena can win a grand slam for the American women. And I think it can be done between Venus and between Coco. Um, uh, other Americans, not as much, but I say between Venus and Coco, besides Serena, you know, I say we get three good chances to win for the American women's side to win a Grand Slam next year. Um, so moving on, we're going to move on to a, a different uh, thing here. We have a, a tennis great who passed away. Uh, I actually had to look up who this person was, Mike, because I didn't know. Um, Poncho Segura yeah. uh, passed away. He was 96. Uh, so Poncho played way back in the day. Obviously, being 96 means you had to. Uh, he won 66 career titles, and he rose to the world number one in 1950s as an amateur. Uh, he uh, actually rose from poverty to become a, a tennis great. So he didn't have a lot of money growing up as a kid, so it was really nice to see. Uh, and after becoming a tennis great and winning all those titles, he transitioned to becoming a coach, uh, and he coached none other than Jimmy Connors pushing him to become the all-time great that he is today. So it's nice to see kind of the man behind the legend type of deal. Not that he wasn't a great himself, but, you know, you understand, okay, the man who pushed Jimmy Connors to be great, he himself came from poverty. He himself made something of everything. So that was, I think, in part why Jimmy did so well because he had not similar circumstances, but I think there was an understanding uh, there between the two just because of the similarities. So, um, that was actually nice to know. I did not know who coached Jimmy Connors before, um, uh, just researching that little video. Yeah. He was a great clay court player in particular. Obviously, uh, he was the, you know, played in the forties and the fifties as his prime, really. And, uh, yeah, he was one of the all time, all time greats and especially on clay being his best surface. But, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a sad day for tennis. Another, you know, all-time great champion, uh, great player uh, passing on. Yep, and I think it's something that if, you know, we see, because the next person is going to be like the same, I would like to touch on when, when you know, some greats pass on, um, you know, to kind of let people know 
a bit about what they did. Because at this point, unless someone passes away really young, like the next person, most people are going to know them. Um, you know, if someone passed away in their 70, 80, 90, that means they would have played back in the heyday. So you're kind of shining a spotlight on on that when we see some other tennis greats pass away, something I would like to do regularly. So we're going to move on to the, the next person. Uh, unfortunately, passed away from cancer. Um, now, is it Jaina? It's Jaina. Uh, Novotna? No, it's, it's Jana. Jana Novotna. Yep. Okay, because pronunciation I'm normally not bad at, but um, because I play Warcraft, it looks like Jin. So, Yana Novotna passed away after battling cancer. Now, she was only 49, um, which is, you know, young considering uh, it's unfortunate because she was a great player. I mean, she played in the 90s. Uh, she rose to number two in the world back in 1997. Uh, she was ranked number one in doubles. And um, she had a lot more success in doubles and singles. She did win her uh, loan singles grand slam in wimbledon in 1998 um besides that she won 12 doubles grand slams and then four mixed doubles grand slams she was a 17 time grand slam winner which is pretty awesome considering she won 24 singles titles as well so she had almost as many total grand slams as she had singles so definitely a good player but you could tell she was really good at the net she was a servant volleyer so she knew exactly what and how to win in doubles and obviously it showed because she was a force to be reckoned with i didn't look up who she teamed with i just read a little bit about what she was and what her game was and that that type of tennis doesn't exist anymore the servant volley i mean hopefully it's gonna make a comeback but what are your what are your thoughts uh yeah it's a great player um i remember uh reading up a little bit on her a few years back when i was just kind of scrubbing through some of the 90s players um like the ones that not like agassi and sampras and you know salas and all that those are the all-time greats obviously and we know a lot about them but i was trying to look at some of the the other gems kind of underneath the surface and uh yana novotna was uh, very i think formidable but i think a little underrated i think in terms of uh her battling against some of the top players and i feel like she was one of those um she's one of those players that kind of gets forgotten a little bit unfortunately um because she didn't win a bunch of, of Grand Slam titles in terms of singles titles, which obviously is like the barometer for the most part to which we kind of attach all this uh, acclaim and adoration to these athletes is, you know, the singles titles, right? Um, and so she didn't really win much of those, but she did win Wimbledon. It's a big deal. You know, winning just one. I mean, oh, yeah, just winning one Wimbledon title. Um yeah, heartbreaking. So for me, I feel it's more like looking at the breadth of her career, the longevity, the years that she played, and on top of that, just the the astounding amount of success across both you know singles and doubles. And okay, she had twenty four titles, right? It's not a ton, you know, but at the same time, it's not nothing either. It's still twenty four singles titles, and you know, she gave a lot of the the great players at the time real real trouble you know she fought hard she had a lot of big battles with uh Celis. um you know she fought um Steffi quite a bit uh, as well and so it's it's sad to see someone go and she was so young 49 years old that's 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 nothing it's be 49 years old and and gone already you know it's just it's a sad day yep yeah, it is. And it shines a light on, 
you know, you can go, you can kind of go anytime. So people need to make the best of, of what they got when they can. And I think that shows that, you know, we all know 49 is young and, you know, kids pass away for, from cancer and whatnot, which is always really sad and bad. But I think she's a person who, you know, lived a great life and I'm sure she was, you know, loved by a lot of people. Um, and hopefully she can inspire some more women um, with what she did because she was from, uh, I read, like, where was she from? Uh, I believe she was from Czechoslovakia. Well, I think it used to, well, the Czech Republic, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now, now they've been doing great in kind of the, you know the past, you know, um, with the uh, the Davis Cup and such. Like the Czech has always kind of gone to there, but they really haven't had like a consistent winner in the Grand Slam. So anytime you had someone like that, you know, obviously passing away, it, it could be inspiring to somebody. So hopefully we see some, you know, up and comers take a bit of, of what she did. Um, Cause unfortunately it, it casts a spotlight, you know, a lot of people probably didn't know as much about her or now they do. Unfortunately pass away, but hopefully it's what good can come from it. And then we can see some more up and comers from Czech Republic. Cause I like, I like good tennis. I don't, as much as I love Nadal and Fed and that it, it, it is nice to see somebody other than four people win Grand Slams. So I'm up for any new up-and-comer uh, to, to bust loose and, and actually make it interesting. Um, so that's it for the news. We're going to move on to the Nitto ATP War Tour Finals. Um, just going to go through the uh, round-robin stage results. not going to go through each match. Uh, so I'm going to break down Group Becker. Uh, Group Becker, again, was uh, Roger Federer, Alexander Zverev, um, uh, Marin Cilic and Jack Sock. And then Group Sampras was uh, Rafael Nadal, Dominique Team, Grigor Dimitrov, uh, David, David Goffin, and then uh, Pablo Carina Busto, which was Nadal's alternate uh, after he pulled out. So uh, the Group Becker, uh, we had Roger Federer going perfect, 3 0. Uh, so he won Group Becker. And then Jack Sock was the second with two and one record. Uh, so he's, uh, Federer and Sock advanced. And then you had, uh, Alexander Zverev go one and two, uh, where he lost to both Sock and Federer. And then Marin Cilic just lost to everybody. So he had a really bad tournament, which is a little surprising because Cilic's best service is always on hard court. And for the fact that him to go 0 and 3 was more surprising even to me. I figured he would have went one and two, maybe two and one. I didn't expect him to get 0 and 3. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I didn't expect, you know, Jack to really do what he did. Um, and I know he just won Paris, right? It's a big tournament. It's a Master Series tournament. Obviously. I said maybe he could bring it too, you know. I, I thought it was a long shot, but I thought he could bring some stuff. You know, yeah, but uh, I looked at the Paris and, you know, it's a great win. It was a great win, you know, but the field, the way it had kind of panned out, I mean, it's, it's not the – take away from it but it's not like it's not like you had to go to the final and face Roger or Djokovic or, or Nadal or something you know and, and really fight one of the, the greats to really get that title um, but it doesn't invalidate like I said I'm not trying to bring him down or anything here but I'm just saying that after he won Paris, I thought, well, that's a really great eye-opening moment for him because he did rise to the occasion to win the tournament regardless of who he faced but I still wasn't sure if that tournament taught me enough about Sock to believe that he was going to go into the World Tour Finals and really do what he did. Um, well, I, I think he had nothing to lose. I mean, what what, what do you go into? You don't go into it with any expectations. He didn't think he was going to make it mm-hmm. until he won. You know, until he won um, 
Paris? Paris. Yeah, Paris Masters. Yeah. Till, till they won, I'm, my brain's, I'm brain fart. Um, till they won Paris, he didn't know. Like I said, he was going to go on vacation. He had to cancel his vacation with Isner. They were going to go fishing. Um, so I think that had a little bit to do with it too. Like, hey, he's just happy to be there. You're excited. Never been there before. Didn't think you were going to be there. I think that had a little bit to do with it too. Besides winning and being confident, I think, you know, man, first time you get there, I think he just made the most of it. Yeah, I think he did. You know, I think he tr- he went in there thinking he had nothing to lose and just fought hard. And sometimes that is the key to some really astounding successes is going into a tournament feeling like you're playing with house money. And, yep. you know, that's probably how I felt a little bit. Just honored to be there, go in, try my best, see what happens. And it ultimately <clears> – but then, you know, that also kind of oversimplifies things a little bit because he still had to go on court facing – some of the best players on tour and in doing so he managed to kind of fight and claw his way through. And now the first match he played, I believe he lost. So like after he lost that first match, yeah, he against, lost Feder. Yeah. Feder was the first match. And I thought, okay, well, nice knowing you, Jack. I, I just assumed at some point, maybe even the next match he was going to lose and that, uh, you know, it was going to be a pretty well, quick. I think the fact that he beat Chilich, <laughs> yeah. if he would have faced Zverev right after beating Fed, I think that might have been a different outcome. But I think beating Chilich gave him back some confidence. And then going in and knowing that Zverev's been hot and dry, hot and cold, you could say, um, throughout the year, um, I think he knew he had a shot. If Zverev wasn't playing the top of his game, Jack knew if he played well, I think he knew he was going to beat him. So I think that I think there's a little bit of everything falling in the right place for that. Um, so I'm I'm just happy that Sock did well. Um, and and you know so f- what I'm going to do is so Fed and Sock make it out of Group Becker. All right, Fed's the the top seed, and then Sock's the second. So Group Sampras, and we're going to move into so Nadal lost his first and only match that he played. He lost to Goffin, like we said, three tight sets. Um, but Dimitrov wins 3-0. Goffin uh, wins 2-1. He only loses to to Dimitrov. Dominic team goes 1-2, and, and then both Nadal and Krino Busta go 0-1 and 0-2. So combined, the Spaniards went 0-3. So basically we had the same exact, same exact um, breakdown is Group Becker. He had someone at three and zero, someone at two and one, one and two, and zero and three. So it's kind of uh, odd and unusual that they're carbon copies. But so Dimitrov and Gofan versus Federer and Chilich. Uh, so the way the semifinals broke down is Dimitrov played Sock, Gofan played Federer, and each match was was a good match. There were no blowouts. There were no quick two setters. Uh, Dimitrov defeated Sock four six six zero six three. Um, the little lopsided in the second set. I think both Dimitrov and Sok were both a little surprised. I think Dimitrov surprised he lost and Sok surprised he won the first set because Dimitrov was playing extremely well being three and oh. Um, and then, you know, he couldn't do enough to claw back in the third set, still lost six three. I didn't get to see the match. Did you watch the match, Mike? Yes, I did. Okay. So what, what do you think happened? What happened in the second set? Was it, was it like he just, used everything to get the first set and deflated or was it Dimitrov coming back with a ball of burning fury? Um, I think it was, it's the seemingly, well, I don't want to say inevitable, but the often, uh, the issue that a lot of players have is they, they win that first set and they have that dip in form early in the second set. You know, there's like this relief that you've won the first set. So you, you don't kind of go into the second set with quite the same level of like, 
uh, focus and, and energy and uh, passion and everything that you need to in order to, to not have that let down. But it, it happens a lot. We see it all the time. It's it's very, very common. And so I think Jack ended up kind of doing that initially. And also Dimitrov, you know, raised his game. He said, all right, fine. I lost that first set. I'm going to, you know, if anything, I'm going to focus even more and I'm going to I'm really going to fight and claw at the problem. Well, not the problem, but the good thing for him is that because his level rose at the same time Jack's dipped, it, it kind of just coincided perfectly. So he just, boom, it was like blink of an eye, you know, he's up, you know, four, four zero, you know, in, in the uh, second set. And it was, it was pretty much done after that. Yeah, it's and, and nothing against Sock, but Dimitrov is good enough that it would have taken a lot, and, and it would have taken Dimitrov to start beating himself for Sock to come back in the third set. Um, you know, Sock is a good player, but Sock doesn't have the firepower to overcome himself and his opponent when his opponent's still playing well. If he gets himself in a hole, it's not like like Fed. Fed's got the game that you know Fed can. Sorry, Fed's not one of the ones to give it either. It's not like it's only Karina Busta who can beat themselves, get nervous. That's not Dimitrov. Dimitrov's been doing this enough that it was basically a done deal early in that third set. So I didn't watch the second match either. Uh, Gafan defeats Federer, which was, I'd say, the surprise of the tournament. Uh, after Fed made it out of the group when the doll pulled out, I think a lot of people kind of were just giving Fed the trophy. I myself thought, all right, it's going to be a slim chance for him to lose. Um, so Gafan beating him 2-6, 6-3, a hard-fought match. And uh, did you get to watch that one as well, or did you not? Yes, I watched it. Yeah. Okay, so what are your thoughts on that match? Because I was working and didn't I forgot. Okay, so the first set GoFam was I mean he was out there. There there was some good rallies, but the problem is with GoFan his level just wasn't high enough. He was making some errors in spots during the first set that were just really unfortunate, you know. Um and, and on top of that, Roger was was playing really well. But in the second set Gofan, it was kind of similar to the to the Jack Sock and, and Grigor Dimitrov match where it's it was the same thing. Actually, Fetter's Fetter's form dropped off by quite a bit early in that set, and Gofan raised his level. He started being more consistent. He wasn't spraying as many errors. He wasn't basically he wasn't beating himself. Whereas Roger was kind of beating himself a bit, but also Dimitrov was playing better, so that I'm sure had something to do with it. And it allowed Gofan, you know, to get that second set. And then all of a sudden you're at your level. Uh third set, however, uh was really great because both Roger and uh, uh David Gofan both came out playing exceptionally well. They were playing good tennis. And then, you know, kind of middle of that set, Gofan got the break. And there were some tight games there for Gofan to kind of hold his serve. He, there was one in particular. I can't remember the score. It might have been like, uh, I don't know. It might have been like 4-3 or something like that. Um, and I want to say he had to he had to save a couple of break points in order to hold. Um, but it, it was a good match. And 
the first two sets were a bit up and down with one of each player, but then the third set is where it really came together. They both played well. And Gafan just stayed consistent. He didn't hurt himself. And he literally forced Roger to go for a lot more than I think he was comfortable with. And it ultimately led to him spraying a few errors in that third set, which allowed Gofan to get the break. And Gofan held his nerve. He really did. That third set, it was tight. You know, you got towards the end of that, you know, you're going to, you're coming to the point where you're going to win this match. If I hold serve, can I do it? And he did. It just, it, you could tell the nerves were there, but you know what? He steadied himself. He calmed himself down, took it one point at a time. And, you know, he got the win and it's a massive victory for Gafan. So that was uh, actually intriguing because I didn't I didn't get to watch it, so I wasn't sure how it actually ended, whether it was a break back or he held. Because that's I mean, against Roger, against Nadal, when you're playing this top players, all time greats, the nerves have gotta play a little bit of, of a role in it, uh, at some point, you know, you gotta you know, if you hold serve to, to win and beat the all-time Grand Slam leader and the greatest that ever played type of deal. So I'm sure there was some weight on his shoulders there. But so Dimitrov and Gofan win. Uh, the final, also a great match. Also a match I did not watch um, just because I was doing Thanksgiving stuff. Uh, getting, you know, having Thanksgiving and whatnot. So I didn't really get to watch it. But uh, Dimitrov defeats Gofan, uh, 7 5, 4 6, 6 3. Really good tight score line. Dimitrov wins, uh, obviously, his first World Tour finals. Uh, second title, no, sorry, third title of, his, of the year because he won in Brisbane. No, fourth. He won in Brisbane, his home turf. He won a Master Series in Cincinnati, and then he closes it out with the ATP World Tour Finals. So a great year. He actually was one of the top six movers of the year because he started up the year one ranking below Fed. Fedder was 17 and went up to number two, and then he was 14. Um, no, sorry, he was 16, and then he moved up um, – I think 13 spots. So he moved up a, a, a lot in the rankings, especially after this win here. So uh, I think it's something that, you know, we expected from Dimitrov years ago. It's unfortunate how much weight he had put on his shoulders being called labeled baby fed, you know, because the way his game looked eerily similar to Federer's good backhand, good forehand serve, so on and so forth. So it's nice to see them start to prove himself but um, so I'm going to move into the questions here uh, after I let you you say kind of how the match was. But I've got some words I want to say about the meaning of this title for him. Uh, so w- how did the match go? Um, well, I think the first set was a bit of a nip and tuck affair, honestly, uh, between the two. Uh, but Gofan, I think, buoyed by his performance against Roger and such a big title. Came into the match with a lot of confidence, and um, he he was pretty steady overall, though in that first set, and he just managed to make I think a few more shots than Dimitrov did. Uh, but after that first set, I mean, I don't know whether whether fatigue. Uh, I know I know Gofan had a a leg, a uh, bit of a leg issue. He had a lot of uh, you know tape. Um, on his legs, or at least on one leg, and uh, I think it may have been affecting him a little bit. Um, 
but Dimitrov really raised his level significantly in that second and third set. And he more or less just tore the match right away from Gofan. Um, it's like Gofan had his best effort in that first set. And then Dimitrov seemed like he said, okay, um, enough of that. <laughs> and he pretty much just, just grabbed hold of that match by the scruff of its neck and just ripped it out of Gofan's clutches and, uh, that was all she wrote. I wish I would have seen it. I I just had I was just too busy because um, I knew it was probably gonna be a pretty a pretty good match once I saw who was in it. I didn't think it would have been lopsided, so I was a little um, a little disappointed. Um, plus, at the time, I, I guess sometimes I forget. You know, they're they're Nidos. It's London. Uh, it's like five hours ahead of us, five or six hours. So I kind of just. Uh, just forgot, but uh, so we're gonna move into what, what's the finals impact? Okay, so what does the title mean for Dimitrov going forward? Um, Mikey said that uh, he thinks that it shows that Grigor uh, belongs with the best in the world, and it could be a sign of big things next year. Um, what do you think? Um, I think that for Dimitrov, this could be could be the stepping off point for what he should have done about four years ago. You know, when it seemed like he was poised to, to really become more or less what, what Zverev is now. Um, and maybe even a couple of steps further ahead at that point. Um, it's taken him a long time to get here. Certainly a lot longer than we anticipated. And there's, there's a variety of factors regarding why it's taken him so long. You might look at this result and say, well, you know what? He didn't have to face Djokovic. So that, you know, that's an issue. He didn't have to face Nadal or, or Federer or Murray. But it, it doesn't invalidate his win. It's all like Jack Sock's Paris run. You know, Jack won Paris. Should he apologize for not having to face Roger or Rafa? Does that mean that he still didn't show something great when he was standing, you know, on the verge of winning that title on court, uh, no, he shouldn't. He shouldn't have apologized for it. He doesn't have to. Uh, you face who you face, and that's pretty much it. It would have been better if he would have faced Roger, say Roger in the final. Uh, yeah, you know, if he would have faced Roger and beat him, that would have made it all the more sweeter. And yeah, you could argue it may have added just a little more legitimacy to the win, I suppose, if you want to look at it in that light. But for me. It's not who he faced in the final. It's, I think, the level of play he showcased all week, which, hey, he never lost a match, so pretty good. And then he went in the final, lost the first set, and he didn't crumble, which he's done before many, many, many times. He showca- I think he showcased some resolve, a little bit of flintiness that – Either we've never seen before or we haven't seen in a long time, you know, and I think it resulted in this win and I think he can take this and build on it. Now, am I saying he's going to go into next season and win a Grand Sam title? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this could be a title that says to him, look, I can do this. I can do this. I can play at the highest level, face the best players on tour and find a way to win. And uh, I think this could be something that keeps him in the top 10. Now, whether he wins a title or not, a slam title or not, I don't know. 
But I think this could be the kind of result that allows him to be more consistent week to week instead of playing well for like three weeks and then doing virtually nothing for about two months. Um, Because that's been his pattern for a while. So I think this could be the turning point for Dimitrov, finally. Um, yes and no. I, I'm going to go, I'm a little more skeptical of it because in my opinion, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. All right. That's the age old saying, been around for a while now. And doesn't, does it take away from his win from this? No, no. He beat, um, he beat Dominic Team. He beat Gofan. He beat Karina Busta. Uh, he beat Sock. And then he beat Gofan again. Um, so. Every win, pretty much a quality win. You know, Karina Boost and Sock may be the weaker of the people that he played, but he did show, yeah, he can beat everybody. The problem is, is he still needs to beat. If they're in the way, I still don't think he's going to beat a Fed. He's going to beat Nadal. He's going to beat Murray. You're going to beat Djokovic if they're healthy. If things go his way, can he win a slam? Yes, but. Th- and not that it's going to mean he doesn't, didn't deserve to win a slam, but there's still, it's not going to validate. It's still going to be the same. You know, it was, it wasn't like, it wasn't like in 09, okay, when, um, when, uh, Del Potro won the Grand Slam. All right. If Del Potro hadn't beaten that both the doll and Federer in the same Grand Slam and got through kind of like Chilich did, you know, Chilich played well, but Chilich didn't have to go through everybody. Okay. Chilich won, and he won against Nishikori in the final. So, do people remember that? No. People don't remember that Grand Slam. People don't remember that Chilich won that. They remember Del Potro, because Del Potro beat Nadal, Del Potro beat Federer. And that happened in 09. Okay? So, it, it, there's a sense of, you know, it, it, it counts, yeah, because it's not his fault that he doesn't have to play the best. But you are not the best until you beat the best on the way to getting that title. That's what's so relevant about Nadal's Grand Slam titles. All of his titles, except for a couple, have come from Djokovic or Federer. The other two, like, best of all time, basically. You know, Djokovic is at 12, Federer's at the most, you know... And then you've got Nadal. It's not like Nadal got to play a bunch of nobodies and beat a bunch of nobodies. Yeah, a couple. He beat Ferrer. Okay, he beat for his first French Open title. I can't remember. Nobody. He beat Burditch for Wimbledon. But for the most part, everything he beat, everybody he beat, he ended up having to take out the number one or number two, beating Fed, beating Djokovic along the way. So I think Dimitrov can, you know, can take from this. I don't think all of a sudden we're going to see Dimitrov winning Grand Slams. And I don't think that he belongs in the best of the world. Yeah, he won, you know, a Masters series. Great. He won one Masters series this year. All right, so it gives him one. But his other titles were no nobody events that no one else was in. So this was good, but it's just a start. I don't want people to start getting overblown and thinking it's going to happen just to be let down. Now, he did really good last year at the Australian Open. Five-sitter against the doll. Lost in five tight sets. But I don't think that means he's going to come into Australian Open being one of the one of the favorites. He shouldn't be considered a favorite. If Djokovic, Murray, Nadal, and Fed show, besides Stan, that's your top five that automatically should be considered as a favorite to win the title. Because all well, all of them besides Murray, let's be honest, all of them besides Murray have won Australian Open, and Murray's made it five times. 
to the finals. Just keeps losing is all that happens to him. So um, that's my thoughts for you know Dimitrov going forward. I think he can use it. I just don't think all of a sudden he's going to be the man to beat or anything like that because he didn't have to beat other people. Um, he didn't have to beat at all. Didn't have to beat Federer. So that that's why. Okay. Uh, so was it, was the final mean for GoFan? Uh, again, uh, now this is from Mikey, but I'm gonna uh, echo. Don't think this will put GoFan in the slam pitcher, but could put him in the spoiler role in slams. So I do think along the same. I think GoFan's got a you know good game. He can upset the best. I just don't think he can string it together for a, a grand slam run unless things fall his way, like dominoes. I think at this point, everybody we have yet to see anybody in recent years have to go go through two of the four big four to win the slam. If they do, they're going through one or none. That's basically how it's going. They're getting lucky. So I think he can be a dark horse. I think it. You know, I will say it after Australia. If he does really well in Australia, makes it to the semis, maybe I'll put him up higher. Um, I think he came back really well from the ankle. You know, I think his year would have been much better if it wasn't for that injury. You know, with the tarp sliding into the tarp and rolling over his ankle, needing minor surgery. I think it would have been better, Mike. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, I think a fan is almost like this. Um, I feel like, like a diamond, a diamond in the rough in a way, and but also a player. We're not quite sure what to make of him in terms of what he's really capable of doing. He's had this slow, steady progress up through the rankings over the last like five years, and the last say the last two years, he's been considered a formidable player, uh, someone you really don't want to face um, because he's he's so solid on both wings. And also his serve, while not fearsome, is uh, certainly not a liability either. Now, he could have done some real damage at the French Open this year had he not rolled his ankle, I agree. Now, as for what this means for him going forward, um, I I agree with what you guys said. I I don't know if he's going to win a slam title. I don't know if he physically is capable of withstanding the kind of punishment um, that can be inflicted upon him because he's a pretty slight guy, you know. He's he's pretty thin, uh, and I don't know what he can whether he can really hold up to having his body battered around by, say, Stan. Like if even if he beats Stan in a hard fought five setter in a in a slam, is he going to go into the next round able to take or withstand more punishment? Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe he can and you know maybe he'll prove me and other people wrong but I agree for now I think he's more of a spoiler um, a guy who can do some real damage at a slam and maybe knock out some of the couple of the bigger seeds before eventually falling in like the quarters or something yeah I think so too I agree okay um, so who impressed you the most this week so I'm gonna go with Mike again uh, so, Mikey said Dimitrov impressed by winning, uh, but Jack Sock impressed him the most. He made it to the semis when most thought he really didn't belong there in the first place. He lost a close match to Grigor in the semis. Could win either way, and it could push Jack to his true potential. Uh, hopefully, we see a little bit more of this type of Jack for next year, and uh, you know nothing like some good self-belief. 
Uh, and, and I really echo the same, I gotta say, cause, um, you know, it's not, I can't say it's not impressive for Federer because it's what you expect from Federer. So that's kind of like the normal. Um, it was impressive for Dimitrov to go three and zero, and then to, to win through most of his matches were, were tight matches, didn't crumble. And then, you know, but with Sock, I follow the same where he, you know, most expected him to go one and two or zero oh and three. I don't think there's a lot of people expected him to win against either of those three guys. And for him to make it the whole way to the semis and lose a tight one with Dimitrov, uh, definitely is the most impressive to me. What are your thoughts? Well, um, I, I can't disagree with that. Um, honestly, I agree. Sock to me was the biggest surprise. Uh, I, I really believe he showed something here with a combination of Paris and the World Tour Finals. Um, maybe one tournament in particular is not enough to really say something to me. But I no, believe combining the two and the like the well, especially because the results are so close. You know, you take Paris and then you go right into the World Tour Finals. So it's like two weeks of concentrated tennis and what we saw was somebody who was out there playing focus tennis not beating himself not making a barrage of mistakes or you know a mistake or two in the absolute worst possible moment in the match which you know leads to his losing like he did at the u.s open this year as an example uh, so I, I believe that this could be you know the jumping off point for, for sock like you said and i I do believe this is the biggest surprise of the tournament. Gofan did a great job, and I, you know, I could say Dimitrov as well certainly needs to be in that conversation. But they had more expectations going into this than Sock did, which is why he's the biggest surprise. Yeah, no, I, uh, I uh, echo that sentiment as well. Like I said, uh, so on the flip side, though, Mike, uh, who failed to impress you? Uh, I I don't know. It's kind of hard. You want to pick Chilich and you also want to pick Zverev. Uh, but I'm going to have to but go. See, I also want to pick Team, too. Like, that was just – it's almost like the, the both of them. They both hit the wall. Uh, This is their first – each one of them, this is their first time at the World Tour Finals. Uh, again, I, I talked about this earlier. They're young. You know, it's their first time here. They're still learning. They're still they're still adding on to their game mentally and physically, uh, which is why I'm not going to pick Zverev or team as the biggest disappointment because of just those reasons right there. Uh, you know, next year or the year after, if they make it here and they're still exhibiting the same, you know, uh, lack of passion, lack of fire, bad results. You know, yes, I will probably nominate one of them most likely. But for me, it's got to be Chilich. Um, this is a guy, he's a veteran. He's a Grand Slam, Grand Slam champion. Uh, this is an indoor hardcourt service, which is perfectly suited to his style of play. He has formidable weapons, big serve, big forehand, solid backhand. And he went out there and just fell flat on his face, more or less. I mean, the, he had nothing out in that court. I mean, he had less on that court, out in that court, than I think anybody else did, honestly. I mean, I'd say it's on par with Zverev, actually. But, you know, at least Zverev gave, gave Roger a tough three-setter, you know. 
Um, yeah. So that's true. At least he gave that, uh, even if he lost. But Chilich, Chilich just didn't. He wasn't really there. I didn't feel like he. Not that he didn't want to be there. I just felt like you know he's exhausted. It's been a long year. It's a long season, and I think he just didn't have what he needed to have in order to make it a competitive World Tour uh, finals. And certainly, just in his group alone, he should have been dominating, and he didn't even come close to that. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna read Mikey's comments here on who felt to impress. Um, yeah, it says he says uh, Zverev, of course, but he would say Chilich. Uh, he knows how to beat the people he played on the surface. He's good at, you know, he's got a grand slam, you know, uh, at the U.S. Open. So he, you know, he could definitely win and play well, but he didn't even get a win. Didn't get a win against Sock. Didn't get a win against Verev. Didn't get a win against Fed, which that one may be less of, of, you know, a lock or anything. But, um, and also Federer not winning is a bad sign. The forehand let him down. Gafan played amazingly in the third set. And he says Fed's body still trying to remind us that he's 36. Is he 36? I thought he was 35. But if he's 36, we're He's 36. He's 36. So, you know, I think that there was a little bit of an injury there. They tried to play it down. Um, but the fact that he did not, um, he, he did not practice on Wednesday, um, is what I thought. I thought something was up. Well, you know, that's possible. You know, maybe something was up or maybe he just wanted an extra day of rest. You know, uh, it's hard to say. He doesn't often give anything away. So you don't know whether it's an injury issue or whether it's just, hey, I'm, I'm kind of tired and um, feeling it a little bit. I've had maybe a couple tough matches and an extra day's rest at this point is, is for the best. I need it because, hey, he doesn't have to save his body for – another tournament, you know, after this, this is it. So I think it's probably more likely that he just was maybe feeling a little, a little tired and thought maybe an extra day's rest without going out in the court would have been to his benefit. Uh, I, I don't disagree with it at 36. He probably needs, well, kind of needs all the rest he can get, honestly. Um, read Andre Agassi's, uh, autobiography, uh, Go to the back of the book where he's around his age, 34, 35, 36, and he probably feels often like Andre did at that stage of his career too. Yeah, I uh, I think – I'm going to put my words in here, uh, not saying echoing yours because I kind of said but kind of didn't. I kind of said about team um, – and I would say Chilich, but then I wouldn't. I would say, I would say Zverev would be the biggest failure to impress because he had the most coming in and didn't do it. Yeah, Chilich won a Grand Slam. That was years ago. Chilich hasn't done really anything this year. You know, upset a couple of people here and there, made some good runs, but otherwise nothing. Team, yeah, team had a couple of good clay courts. You know, pushed pushed the doll, beaten the doll earlier in the year, but otherwise, team didn't really do anything that said, "All right, he's going to come in here and he's going to go really far." Zverev is the one who came in and should have went further than he than he did. He's the one who should have went two and one or three and zero. I mean, he can beat Federer. You know, he's beat he beaten Djokovic as well. You know, so it's not like he can't. So I think, as much as it, it's maybe cliche to say it, I think Zverev is my biggest disappointment. Failure to impress because of what he's done. He's got, you know, two master series this year, 
you know, that says something, you know, because he didn't he didn't play snowflakes to get him either. Yeah, the last one he might not have had uh, Djokovic, you know, both uh, Djokovic and Murray to worry about, but it, still, it's one of those those things that he should have done better than he did. Um, so that's that's who my pick was for uh, for failure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I understand. I know. I understand why you picked him, and it's a valid reason. Uh, I just think he's young, and you know, if next year he's doing the same thing. I think it would definitely be valid. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I think so too. Do we have anything else to talk about before we wind every or wrap everything up? And uh, you know, uh, not not unless you wanna you wanna add some stuff to the end. I don't have anything else myself. Uh. Not really. I mean, the only thing is just uh, how to contact us. So uh, if you would like to send in any email uh, to us, if you'd like to express your thoughts and opinions either on what we have to say uh, or if you want to just tell us your thoughts on any player, any tournament, if you have any suggestions for future topics, et cetera, et cetera, you can send in an email to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Write in the subject line, whatever your email is about, and we will respond in the next podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll give you an answer that uh, does your question justice. So I think that's it. Uh, we'll be back next week. We are going to be wrapping up the season with our, well, it's going to be our recap of all of 2017. So we're going to do – it's going to be a long podcast. Just letting you know, I'm going to break it down into a couple of parts, uh, part one and part two. Uh, they will be uploaded at the same time. It just makes it a little – just a little better for like digesting such a long episode. So uh, look forward to that. If you have anything uh, you would like to send in about the season review, if you have any thoughts mm-hmm. or opinions, again, send it in uh, to our email and uh, we'll share it on the podcast. All right, Eric, I think that's it. So, Yep, I think so too. So until next week, uh, nothing really to watch. I mean, there are some some tournaments still going on. I'll bite their smaller ones. Uh, WTA has some events, so feel free to watch You know, those guys. We're unfortunately not going to be covering those. Uh, but there is still tennis that gets played, even though the season's basically over. Uh, tennis fans, you can still look. Uh, I use a great app for those who don't uh, get to watch tennis uh now I, the app is is available both on android and apple um but is the, it is the atp slash wta live app um and besides grand slams grand slams is where you you can download the actual app of the grand slam uh it'll give you each uh tournament as they're being played uh and in that way you can select it it'll give you live it tells you what's been completed schedules draws that's how i keep track because i can do it on my mobile de- mobile device um so just to give you guys a tidbit on what I do uh, to keep track of what's going on because I don't have the time to watch uh, tennis live as much as I'd like to. Uh, This is how I I stay up to date on scores and everything like that. So uh, download it yourselves and then you guys can follow along as well. Okay. Alright, let's see. That's it for us. We'll see you guys next week for our season ending episode. Until then, have a good one. See you next time.